Welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR Show, where we save you time by providing you the too-long-didn't-read summary of cybersecurity topics and news. You can find us on YouTube with video and all the popular podcasting platforms for audio on the go. Now let's get over to your host, John Good. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm your host, John Good. This is your Threat Intel Briefing for November 27, 2022 through December 3rd, 2022. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. That way you get notified when future content comes out. Also, if you think of anything that you want to see as far as content, if you see things you like in the content in the shows, definitely let me know. And I try to take all that feedback and incorporate that to make the show better for you. We're also available on all the podcasting platforms. So if you're listening on there on iTunes, Spotify, whatever the case may be, there's a whole bunch of them. Then I appreciate that as well. Subscribe on there and leave us a review. Let us know how you like the show. If you want to hear different things or see different things on the YouTube stuff as well. Again, all that feedback, I take that in and I try to make the overall show better. Check out the description. There is a link to the show notes. So you will be able to see all the articles that we talk about. If you want to look at them a little bit deeper, maybe read the full article or if you want to see some of the other articles that we considered in this week's show but maybe we didn't cover them in this show, then they'll be there as well. And that's going to be on my website, johngood.com, but I will leave a link in the description as well. And with that, uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to jump right into the first article. So very first article, hackers using trending TikTok invisible challenge to spread malware. Threat actors are capitalizing on a popular TikTok challenge to trick users into downloading information stealing malware, according to new research from Chexmarks. The trend, called Invisible Challenge, involves applying a filter known as Invisible Body that just leaves behind a silhouette of that person's body. But the fact that individuals filming such videos could be undressed has led to a nefarious scheme wherein the attackers post TikTok videos with links to rogue software dubbed Unfilter that uh, purport to remove the applied filters. So basically they're trying to prey on these people that are watching these videos that are curious about removing the filter, right? Uh, And it says instructions to get the unfiltered software deploy wasp stealer malware hiding inside malicious Python packages, checks Mark's researcher Guy Natchson said in a Monday analysis. The wasp stealer, AKA W4SP wasp stealer, is a malware that's designed to steal users' passwords, Discord accounts, cryptocurrency wallets, and other sensitive information. So one of the things that we see a lot with attackers and malicious people, right, is one of the tactics that they like to use, and it makes sense, right, if we just kind of step back and we think about it, is going after uh, people's weaknesses, right? Like things that people just can't help themselves but to do right? So any kind of emotional attachment or natural curiosity. And, you know, there's all these different things, right? We'd use that to uh, get people to watch content. And, you know, so it's, it's something that happens in a lot of cases, but they are uh, intentionally going after TikTok viewers. Now on TikTok itself, there's all kinds of controversy, right? (laughs) Like TikTok is full of controversy, but you know, one of the things, especially with TikTok, that's kind of interesting is the demographic, right? All these different platforms, they have different demographics of who likes to watch what. And 
you know, who's attracted to certain uh, content platforms. So for example, if you go on to YouTube, you may not like TikTok, right? Like you might like longer form content because obviously TikTok is a 60 second or, you know, very short, uh, very short content, right? Very quick to the point. It's not going to be, you know, an in-depth tutorial of something like Nessus or something like that, right? Um, and so you get these different demographics that are uh, gravitating towards those kinds of platforms. Now, with that being said too, TikTok, a lot of times, applies very um appeals very much to younger generations right so the gen z's and you know the younger generation right now right so the early 20s and below and so you know one of the things that we also see is that attackers tend to try to latch on to um to trending things right so in this case the invisible challenge that's a trend that's going on because it helps to legitimize what they're doing and make it seem like whatever they're putting out that content, that it is legitimate because it's on, on par with the trend, right? And it's a very dangerous thing. I think social media in general has a lot of danger, right? And we see that all the time with all these different platforms, the Twitters and everything, where you know, it, there's always this back and forth of what kind of content uh, should be allowed, how do we moderate that content? How do we make sure that people aren't doing malicious things? And, you know, it, it's a very, um, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting thing. Uh, on YouTube, you know, a lot of what we see is uh, we see a lot of links and things like that that are put into comments and, you know, usernames that are changed to certain types of things. And then the comment says, you know, check out my username or check out this uh, content at my username or something like that, right? Like, I see that all the time. And so, you know, all the platforms, they all have their own issues, but it's just kind of interesting to see uh, on TikTok. I think this is the first kind of widespread thing that we've seen like this, right? I'm sure there's been others, but um, this is the first one that I can remember kind of popping up in the news. So pretty interesting. Next article. 5.4 million Twitter users stolen data linked online, more shared privately. Over 5.4 million Twitter user records containing non-public information stolen using an API vulnerability fixed in January have been shared for free on a hacker form. Another massive, potentially more significant data dump of millions of Twitter records has also been disclosed by a security researcher demonstrating how widely abused this bug was by threat actors. The data consists of scraped public information as well as private phone numbers and email addresses that are not meant to be public. Last July, a threat actor began selling the private information of over 5.4 million Twitter users on a hacking form for $30,000. So Twitter, right? Twitter's always in the news right now. You have Elon Musk in the news with Twitter and, you know, firing everybody, laying people off. You know, Twitter is constantly in the news, right? And it's been in the news for a while. but. You know, with this, I mean, obviously that's a significant uh, user base, right? Like it's not a thousand usernames or a thousand users, something like that. It's, I mean, it's, it's a pretty decently sized uh, treasure trove for attackers. And, you know, one of the interesting things that we see a lot with, you know, leaked information like this is things that are not meant to be public, right? So email addresses, phone numbers, uh, you know, not on Twitter so much, but you know, addresses and things like that 
are in those kinds of dumps potentially. And, you know, it's a serious issue, right? Um, that can lead to other breaches, other uh, compromises. If people reuse passwords, um, you know, there, there's all kinds of things that these typically lead to. It's usually not just a one-off thing that doesn't impact other stuff. And if you're not familiar with what an API is, basically in software, okay, the, we have these APIs and um, these application programming interfaces. And basically you can interact with applications through these. So, you know, basically think of it if, you know, if I want to change, uh, change a setting or something in, in the software, or if I want to build my own application that's going to send out a tweet through Twitter, then I can potentially do that through an API. That's kind of the idea, right? And there's all kinds of APIs that you can use to do different things. And, you know, just like you would think, if an API isn't secure, maybe it doesn't require authentication or something, and I can just call that API or I can use it, then I can obviously do things uh, to that website or to that application or whatever, right? So it, it's a huge issue because typically APIs are not something you're going to go to, you know, you're not going to go to a web browser and use an API, right? Like um, at least not directly, right? Maybe behind the scenes it's using APIs or something like that, but you're not going to go to api.twitter.com and, you know, just start interacting with it. It doesn't work like that. But um, yeah, I mean, $30,000, you know, that obviously is a, you know, depending on your, your uh, perspective of money, you know, I mean, that's not trivial kind of thing for just a normal person, right? Not talking about like businesses or anything like that, but $30,000, I mean, that could be a salary or something for somebody, right? So, um, but it's just, it's pretty alarming anytime any of this stuff happens. Um, you know, one of the things with APIs in general is that you do want to do penetration testing on them. So you want to have uh, tests against them. If you're at a company, you want to make sure that, you know, people can't do things they're not supposed to or abuse these APIs so they can get information or leak information that they're not supposed to have. And I think that's, you know, really, really the big thing about it. Um, I mean, as far as a user, there's not really much that you can do, which is kind of unfortunate, right? It's, it's an API. It's part of the application. It's part of the platform. So I guess don't be on the platform. It's about all you can really do, right? Or use throwaway information or something that you don't, that you assume is going to be compromised. So, but it, it's still an interesting article uh, as far as, you know, data getting dumped. A uh, wave of cyber-enabled scams target FIFA World Cup fans. As the global tournament enters in its second full week in Qatar, FIFA World Cup scams are proliferating uh, as cyber criminals aim to score big from unsus unsuspecting fans, according to data collected by cybersecurity firm group IB. As widely expected ahead of the games, scammers have set up a variety of ways to harvest personal information and steal money from people trying to buy merchandise or tickets online or searching for an on-site work uh, for on-site work during the game the researchers found to carry out their world game, uh, world cup scams researchers observed the attackers using info stealing malware such as redline and erbium researchers also identified fake merchandise and ticket websites used to steal money directly or swipe banking credentials 
They also uncovered roughly 40 fake apps in the Google Play Store promising access to tickets and at least five websites uh, purporting to the job application forms used to harvest personal information. So again, you know, attackers like to go after emotional states and things that are basically going to be very enticing to people or to users. And the FIFA uh, World Cup is obviously a huge thing around the world. Um, You know, in certain countries, it's not as big as others, right? Uh, Like, for instance, in the United States, soccer is not as big of a sport as, say, like football, right? Um, But definitely around the world, soccer is a very popular sport. And, you know, attackers are going after that. We typically see a lot of things start coming up for the FIFA World Cup, though. So once it starts coming up, we see a lot of scams uh, and really any of these big events, right? Super Bowl, um, you know, whatever, World Series. But uh, it seems like every year, you know, it gets a little bit better as far as the scams. The uh, attackers, they get a little bit better as far as what they're doing. And as long as you make it relatively believable, you know, in a lot of cases on these kind of things, people are going to have their guard down a little bit and they're going to be more willing to do whatever because, you know, it's beneficial, right? They can get cheap tickets to something like, let's say a ticket is $1,000. I don't know what a ticket to a FIFA World Cup is, but let's say it's $1,000 and you can get it for like 200 bucks or something, 250 bucks. You know, sometimes that stuff happens, right? Like sometimes there's great deals, but, you know, people are going to be like, whoa, yeah, like I want to go so bad. That's a bucket list kind of thing. Let me get the ticket or let me go work on site so I can, you know, get discounted admission or free admission or something, right? Like these things, these things definitely happen and you just have to be very aware of as far as a consumer, um, you know, as far as a business, this really doesn't impact businesses that much, but you know, with your business, you have to be aware of if these things are happening kind of in your name, right? So if you're the, if you're FIFA, right. And you know, this stuff is going on, how are you going to get that information out to the user base or to the, uh, your target, you know, audience? and your customers so that they know what is considered legitimate and what is considered not, what they should be on the lookout for, scams, anything like that. So even though it doesn't necessarily directly impact businesses, it's still something that you have to be considerate of and that you have to think about uh, when we're talking about your business, right? You can't just kind of close your ears, close your eyes and ignore everything that's going on and not think about any kind of scams that are related to things that you're doing. So uh, definitely an interesting article with FIFA World Cup and everything going on. So I wanted to bring that up. Next article, businesses increasing cyber spend without clear strategy fastly finds. Most businesses worldwide claim to be confident that their uh, current cybersecurity budgets are fit for their needs, but at the same time would be willing to spend more according to Fastly. While 71% of businesses highlighted their confidence in their current budgets, 73% of the same businesses are willing to increase their budget. In the U.S. specifically, over 85% of IT leaders considering their current budget ad- uh, cons- consider their current budget adequate, but 79% are still thinking of increasing it. One explanation is that IT leaders fear lagging the evolving cyber threat landscape and put their trust in technology to help them catch up and prepare for the future cybersecurity risks. Overwhelmed and overworked, IT leaders are putting their faith in the abundance of tools and technologies and hoping for their best, reads the report. So a lot to unpack here, right? Uh, You know, as far as budget, right, in a company, 
you know, even personally, you only have so much, right? You only have so many resources, so much money that you can put to work. And, you know, obviously in a company, it's not the entire, uh, you don't get all the money, right? All the cash to invest it in things or to buy tools or anything like that. So you have to really, you know, spend it wisely. With this specifically, you know, it's pretty interesting because in companies, uh, one of the things that we see is there's definitely kind of this life cycle with regards to cybersecurity and technologies. You know, when I look at this, typically I think of, you know, okay, initially, right? It's pretty hard to sell uh, leaders on technologies and tools sometimes, right? Depending on what it is, depending on how it impacts things, how well you can sell it, right? So it's kind of hard to do it. And then you get breached or something happens, right? Some big kind of incident and, or event. And then everybody kind of freaks out. And then all of a sudden, budgets start to change a little bit. You know, it becomes a little bit easier to get a little bit more money. And there's just kind of, the cycle keeps happening, right? Because of course, when you get hacked or breached, you know, depending on what that impacts, if you get fined or anything like that, that could, you know, impact how much you get, right? Um, but it's just, just this kind of cycle, right? Because the longer you go without a breach, people become kind of complacent. They're like, okay, you know, we're good, whatever. And then they get breached again. And then it's like, okay, now let's put more money into it. And that happens a lot with a lot of companies. The other thing that I'll tell you too, is that companies tend to be in a lot of cases more willing to spend money on technologies than they are necessarily on things like staffing sometimes or even really focusing on maximizing what the, um, the capabilities of are of their technology that they currently have in place before they go get other tools, right? Companies like to buy tools. They just like to buy them. They like to buy technologies. If you're thinking about buying, uh, creating some software or a tool or something, great. Companies love to buy them, right? And that's because a lot of times too, you know, in the marketing material and things like that, uh, a lot of these vendor companies, they'll, you know, kind of sell the magic solution, right? Like the, um, the, um, the golden ticket, right? The, the, the ultimate solution, the golden solution. And, you know, it's not always the case, right? Like there are certainly tools that give you immense capabilities, right? Like significant capabilities that you wouldn't have otherwise, 100%. But you know, there's also a lot of tools that do similar things to each other and offer similar capabilities, maybe at different cost and different, you know, models and as far as like the pricing and things like that. And so, that, I mean, that's something you have to consider. Um, but, you know, you also, also should be looking internally, right? Look to see if your tools are properly configured. Are, can they be tuned? You know, do you just need people that are more trained on those tools to actually accomplish what you're trying to do? Adding solutions and technologies doesn't always fix the problem, right? A lot of times, you know, a lot of these tools, they don't always talk together. They don't always talk to each other. So, you know, getting a lot of these tools, then all of a sudden you start getting all this data and then you have no way of correlating it or getting it to kind of mesh into one uh, decision-making model or decision-making like dashboard, right? And that's really, really important to think about because if you get a bunch of data 
it does you no good unless you can use that data. That data isn't actionable. If it doesn't provide value, then what good is it, right? It's like if you have a vulnerability scanner and you know reverse engineering tools and all this kind of stuff, but then you don't have the staff that can take care of those issues, what's the point, right? Or if it doesn't present a reasonable picture, like if it's all these different sources, but they're not tied together, we can't, um, you know, for instance, if we're trying to put a, a timeline back together of an attacker and what they did, but these sources don't talk to each other or they can't line up as far as like the time and stuff, you know, there's all kinds of issues with that, right? So first, look internally, make sure that your tools are properly configured, please. Don't just run out to buy new tools because that just kind of compounds the problem. It doesn't really fix anything, right? So, um, and that's across all companies, right? Like there's so many companies that would just rather buy a tool and hope for the best than actually trying to maximize what they already have. So, and then of course, uh, the other thought with that is buy quality tools, right? Don't buy garbage tools and expect the world. And, you know, that's going to lead you to getting other tools, right? Because if you buy a subpar tool, like some tool that just is terrible, right? It doesn't do what it's supposed to do. It always has errors, whatever. You know, that's going to lead to you wanting other technologies and other tools that, you know, probably overlap in their capability. Or you just end up ditching that tool because it's just garbage and you've just wasted all that money and time and energy in getting that thing onboarded and set up. So there's a lot to consider with technologies and how you go about your cybersecurity strategy to improve your security uh, and manage your budget accordingly so that you efficiently and effectively spend that money. So very important, very important. Uh, the next article, Australia passes bill to find companies up to $50 million for data breaches. Just a little bit. The Australian government has passed a bill that markedly increases the penalty for companies suffering from serious or repeated data breaches. To that end, here we go, the maximum fines have been bumped up from the current $2.22 million, uh, and that's Australian dollars, to $50 million Australian dollars. 30% of an entity's adjusted turnover in the relevant period or three times the value of any benefit obtained through the misuse of information, whichever is greater. Turnover period is the time duration from uh, when the uh, contravention occurred to the end of the month when the incident is officially addressed. $2.22 million to $50 million. Really? <laughs> like, I mean... You know, let's be real, right? Sometimes these fines that companies get are pretty small uh, for data breaches. You know, that's fair. But that is a massive increase, right? To me, right? And I don't know about you, but to me, that really sounds like they're trying to scare companies, right? I mean, that kind of fine, I don't know, right? Like, I don't know if that's going to be enforceable. That's a pretty substantial fine it's a pretty substantial increase too and then it kind of comes into play too it's like well okay well how you're going to evaluate who's going to get fined what right how are you going to evaluate if somebody gets 
um, gets fined the full 50 million? Who gets fined 20 million? Who gets fined 2 million, right? Because a lot of times with these fines, there's like these sliding scales where you're not going to get fined $50 million for everything, right? And so it's just, it's, yeah. I mean, if you're in Australia, you know, and you're, this is going to impact you. I'd be interested to see kind of how this plays out. I mean, we're seeing a lot of countries kind of uh, go to extremes, right, with what they're implementing. You have Australia, you have India is another country that uh, has definitely um, started to do some um, some excessive kind of measures or put some, you know, <laughs> some serious uh, bills and requirements and regulations in place. So I'd be interested to see, you know, how, especially like this, like how many companies that are in Australia or that do business there that would be um, uh, subject to this, you know, that have gotten breached, what would those fines look like overall, right? Like, is this just a moneymaker where they're just like, we're going to make it huge. So then companies just, you know, they got to pay a lot of money to the government. You know, I'd be interested to find out. Uh, again, this is in Australia. So um, if anybody is in that part of the world, I'd love to hear about this and how that's going to impact you and um, kind of ways you're going about it, right? It uh, definitely sounds very interesting. Hopefully the United States doesn't follow suit with craziness, but uh, we'll see. Next article, Killnet gloats about DDoS attacks drowning Starlink White House. Killnet and its brand of hacker collaborators are claiming that they were able to pull off a trio of symbolic distributed denial of service DDoS attacks aimed at punishing some of the most critical supporters of Ukraine against the Russia invasion. Russian invasion. Elon Musk's Star, uh, Starlink satellite broadband service and the websites of the uh, White House in the U.S. and the Prince of Wales in the U.K. Researchers at Trustwave were able to find evidence corroborating the Russian-backed threat group's uh, claims. Kilnet claimed that it took down Starlink service on November 18th, which has been critical for providing the Ukraine war effort with internet connectivity. Indeed, Trustwave found Starlink customers on Reddit on the same day complaining that they couldn't log into their accounts for several hours. So, you know, obviously a serious issue. A lot of things in this world now are connected on the internet, uh, different services, different devices. You know, we use it to share information, all this stuff, right? So any kind of impact to the internet is a serious deal. We've seen even issues with like the underwater cables for um, internet connectivity. Uh, we've seen those be a concern as far as getting cut and things like that. Uh, we've even talked about it on this show before. And so this is, you know, very similar, right? Except we're talking about satellites where, you know, somebody doesn't have to go into space to cut a wire or something. They can just, you know, connect into the signal or connect into the satellite and mess with it, right? Or take it down. And, uh, you know, I think with space in general, space has always been a very sensitive uh, place because there's a lot of damage that can be done in space, right? Um, obviously, like in the, in the Cold War and stuff, there was concerns of putting like nuclear warheads and things like that into space. You know, that's obviously a serious issue. Um, and then, you know, obviously now we have like communication satellites, Starlink, we have space travel still and all that stuff. and 
yeah, I mean, being able to impact that stuff is a serious issue. Um, you know, really, it's one of those things where it's it's really is kind of critical infrastructure, right? Where you know, there's people in war zones or you know desolate areas that need that connectivity to survive, right? And so it's very um, concerning when attackers are able to infiltrate those kind of systems and really cause, you know, cause issues, right? And so it's one of those things where if you're in that business and, you know, with like Starlink and stuff, you have to be very, very cautious with what's allowed. We even saw, uh, I think it was at Black Hat or DEF CON uh, this year that there was um, like a demonstration or something talking about being able to, uh, to get into satellite systems. And, you know, a lot of those systems, this is the other thing too, right? So a lot of those systems are going to be up there for a long time, right? That kind of infrastructure is not cheap to get up there. And typically that stuff stays up there for a long time. Look at things like the space station, right? That stuff has been up there for a while and it's going to be up there for you know a long time. And so it's not uncommon for that stuff to kind of get dated or you know, new vulnerabilities discovered on stuff that was released, you know, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years prior. So um, definitely it's something to be concerned about, uh, especially if you're in that industry. But, you know, if you're concerned about space or defense or anything like that, you know, it's very concerning too. So I would definitely be, um, you know, on the lookout for that. Uh, next article, businesses hope to cut cyber turnover by encouraging volunteer work. Companies are encouraging their cyber employees to volunteer at nonprofits, a nudge that managers say can help businesses retain and demand technical experts despite high turnover in security roles. Cyber Peace Institute, a Geneva-based group that helps nonprofits, humanitarian, and health organizations address cybersecurity, set up a program last year to enlist professionals from the corporate world to explain things like email phishing to nonprofits that might lack the budget to hire their own experts. You know, so... I put this in the careers section of the articles, but you know, with this in your career, you know, kind of think about the things that are important to you uh, from an employer, right? Is it important to have a 401k? Is it important to have a training budget? Is it important to have volunteer benefits or uh, donation benefits, right? Like donation matching, uh, you know, all that stuff are things that companies offer and you really have to decide if that's important to you and how important that is to you, right? When you're looking at employers. If you're on the employer side, you know, what kind of benefits are you going to give to your employees? What kind of things do they value? Do they value volunteering? You know, as a company, do you vol uh, value volunteering? Do you want to give them so many hours per year that they can go volunteer? Um, you know, all that stuff matters because all that stuff makes it a better overall experience with an employer. Right. And that's not saying volunteering is the only thing, but all those benefits matter. Right. Um, it's not just about the money these days. And especially in something like cybersecurity, you know, where there's a lot of money. Right. Um, money is not everything. Right. There are other benefits that can make your life even better that, you know, don't necessarily come with a monetary benefit. Right. Um, working remote. Right. Look at that. You know, if working remote is important to you, this is a great time because a lot of companies are allowing people to go remote or, you know, partially remote or whatever. 
So all of these things are benefits and you know, both sides of the equation really have to consider that when they're creating offers, when they're negotiating, um, when they're just deciding how they want to, um, you know, impact their employees' lives. So very, very important. Microsoft Defender boosts default protection for all enterprise users. Microsoft announced that uh, built-in protection is generally available for all devices onboarded to Defender for Endpoint, the company's endpoint security platform. Once applied, the default set of settings provides better protection for enterprise endpoints against advanced and emerging threats, including ransomware attacks. Initially, built-in protection will include tuning, uh, turning tamper protection on for your tenant and other default settings coming soon, Microsoft explains. This announcement comes after the company began to toggle on tamper protection for all new customers with Defender for Endpoint Plan 2 or Microsoft 365 E5 licenses starting last year. So, you know, with this in general, what this reminds me of is think about when you're deploying assets, if you're deploying servers, if you're giving employees computers, even though this is, you know, you know, this can cover a lot of things, but just in general, when you're deploying assets of any kind, right? You know, typically in companies, there is a deployment checklist of some sort that, you know, says it must do this. It must have antivirus software. It must be patched, whatever, right? It must have all these things or have these things done. Protect the BIOS, um, you know, all, all that kind of stuff, right? Be connected into the SIM, have a vulnerability scanning agent, whatever. Um, and so, you know, this is just kind of another part of that. But it should remind you that, again, as you're deploying assets, you should have that kind of checklist, even if it's not an actual like checklist where you're going through and marking things off, it should be things that are happening on all your deployments. And that's because if you don't have consistent deployments, you're going to have issues eventually. If you forget to install antivirus software on your systems that go to end users, you're going to have malware and ransomware and all kinds of other garbage happening on those computers and on the network. If you have servers that get deployed all the time or at all, and you don't have antivirus software, if they don't get patched, if they have you know, unnecessary ports that are open, services that are running and all this stuff, you're going to have issues, right? And so we're seeing that a lot with vendors where they're starting to put some of these protections in place by default. And we're seeing, you know, more of these protections in place by default because they help. And also a lot of the settings are getting complex. So it becomes a little bit harder to manage and figure out what settings you need. So you know, make it the default. And then that way it's a little bit easier for companies to adjust instead of having to, you know, deploy everything and then figure out, well, this setting should have been on. And when we turn it on, it breaks everything. So, you know, think about your golden images and your deployment uh, images and how those are going to be secured and make sure that you're very consistent with those deployments and the features and settings that you're putting out there, right? So very important. Uh, all right, so that's going to be the last article article for this week. Again, I'm your host, John Good. This is your Threat Intel Briefing for November 27, 2022 through December 3rd, 2022. If you're watching on YouTube, again, I appreciate it. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And that way you get notified for future content. If you're listening on podcasting platform, I appreciate that as well. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. Check out the description for the link to the show notes where you can find all these articles that we talked about 
and some others that were considered but we didn't talk about. And with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for this week, and I'll see you next time.